We must become so alone, so utterly alone, that we withdraw into our innermost self. It is a way of bitter suffering. But then our solitude is overcome. We are no longer alone, for we find that our innermost self is the Spirit, that it is God, the indivisible. And suddenly we find ourselves in the midst of the world, yet undisturbed by its multiplicity. For our innermost soul, we know ourselves to be one with all being. Hermann Hesse Welcome back to Self Talk. I'm Rachel Astarte. In this podcast, we're talking about the self. We're looking at who we are and how we can be better at being who we are and how we can share that self with our world family. Today's topic is solitude. This is such an important topic. We're going to break it up into two parts. This part is about the importance of solitude but also some of the drawbacks we encounter around solitude. In the next episode, we're going to talk about creating a solitude practice. Some of you may think of the word solitude and be gripped with fear or aversion. Many of us just simply don't like being alone. Perhaps we don't want to be alone with our thoughts because we fear what might come up. When we spend time alone, it makes sense that we are turning inward to self, and that inward turning may bring up scary thoughts or feelings which we're not prepared to deal with. It's often much easier for us to stay active and distract ourselves with activities or other people. No one wants to sit in solitude and face the darkness. There is another side of solitude, however. There's the regenerative kind. This is when we sit in solitude with ourselves, and yes, some darkness may come up, but we also have the quietness to address that darkness. What's the purpose of that? The purpose is to integrate all aspects of ourselves so that that darkness, those negative thoughts and feelings, those frightening parts of ourselves, won't feel so alone and also won't be so eager to make an appearance in our daily lives because they have been acknowledged. More importantly, the positive side of solitude is that we get an opportunity to recharge our batteries, our soul batteries, so that we can get back to the world more authentically. Solitude then becomes a gift that we give ourselves. And we'll talk more about both sides of solitude, but first, let's take a look at what solitude means. Solitude is an intentional period of time set aside to reconnect to self. Ideally, it's a sacred time designed to recharge your soul's batteries so that you can give back to the world. Another way to put it is that solitude is designated time alone with the intention of self-care, self-rejuvenation. And how long do you need to accomplish this? Well, that depends. We're going to talk in the next episode about developing a solitude practice. That means once a day you spend some time in solitude doing something that restores you. And this could be even five minutes or ten minutes of meditation. But it could also mean taking a bath or reading your favorite book or traveling solo. On a regular basis, a solitude practice would ideally involve about 30 minutes of uninterrupted time in communion with self. So let's get back for a second to why we have aversions to solitude. 
first of all, human beings are community-based. We're not designed to be solitary creatures. We have the option to spend time in solitude, but if we spend too much time in solitude, it may be considered suspect within social norms. So part of this societal norm is based on safety in numbers. We are communicators and we need to be present, not isolated, in order to sniff each other out and make sure all is okay within the tribe. Our earliest memories of solitude may involve situations where we couldn't find a playmate and the next best thing was to play alone. And there's a sense of dejection in that sometimes. Even if you end up having a great time playing by yourself, the entire condition was sparked by a kind of rejection that there is no one else to play with me. Another memory that we might have about solitude is that it's often used when we're children as a punishment. When we've done something wrong, our caregiver might say, go to your room. So here we are now in a state of forced isolation, one that we had no control over, and no one likes that. If you compound that forced isolation with the message, go to your room and think about what you've done, we're now forced to stay alone and contemplate nasty things, such as what we did wrong. There's no punishment that says, go to your room and remember what a wonderful human being you are and that you're much better than the wrong thing that you did. That would be wonderful, wouldn't it? Could you imagine being punished that way? So this leaves us as grown-ups in a state of aversion to solitude due to patterning. Think of prison. Besides the death penalty, the worst punishment you can get is solitary confinement being forced to be alone. Obviously, it's worse than that because you have absolutely no contact with anyone else socially for extended periods of time. And that is a punishment. The reason that that is a true punishment is because we need solitude so that we can regenerate ourselves, revive our souls, so that we can give back to the world through communication with others. So we developed this aversion to solitude from experience that time alone may be infused with negative feelings or thoughts that can come up. But as we mentioned earlier, solitude also gives us a time to work through those feelings and integrate them so that they don't become part of our relations with other human beings in our lives. May Sarton, who's the author of Journal of a Solitude, says, Does anything in nature despair except man? An animal with a foot caught in a trap does not seem to despair. It is too busy trying to survive. It is all closed in to a kind of still, intense waiting. Is this a key? Keep busy with survival. Imitate the trees. Learn to lose in order to recover. And remember that nothing stays the same for long, not even pain, psychic pain. Sit it out. Let it all pass. Let it go. This too shall pass, in other words. When we have thoughts in meditation, for example, we let them go. Anyone who practices meditation knows that thoughts come in, some good, some scary, some dark, but they pass, like clouds in the sky. Or as Chojal Namkai Norbu, Dzogchen Buddhist master, says, we should be like a mirror reflecting what passes in front of it, but not judging. This is the same in our time alone. When these thoughts arise, we can see them, process them and let them go. That's just a tip for dealing with any aversion to aloneness that you might have, but solitude doesn't have to be dark and scary. There are numerous benefits to spending time alone. 
But first, before we talk about the benefits, let's make the distinction between solitude and loneliness, since we just mentioned that. May Sarton says, again, loneliness is the poverty of self. Solitude is the richness of self. Loneliness is a state of mind. Negative ideas encircle that state, thoughts of being abandoned or not being worthy of human interaction. By turning those thoughts off, simply not letting them have airtime in our minds, we leave room to cultivate positive facts about our life alone. For example, instead of, what if no one likes me secretly, they're not being honest about it, but deep down they really don't like me, you might think, in my life alone, in my time alone, I have the peace of mind and time to accomplish my goals, unhindered. In essence, we can turn these negative loneliness thoughts into positive aloneness thoughts. In truth, because we are connected to all around us, we are never alone, even in solitude. Jose Mujica, who was the president of Uruguay from 2010 to 2015, said that when you have a lot of solitude, any living thing becomes a companion. So whether we're alone or not, we are a part of the entire cosmic realm. There is no need to be lonely because we are not separate from anyone or anything. Not really. So, to the benefits of solitude, there are a great number of benefits to the mind, body, and spirit when we commit to a solitude practice. Paradoxically, spending time alone actually improves our relationships in the outside world. We do this by, by realigning these three elements of ourself, mind, body, spirit. It helps us to bring our authentic selves to our interactions with others. So, let's look at the mental part first. Perhaps the most obvious benefit of solitude can be seen in our mental capacities. When we have a problem or an issue around which we need clarity, that time alone helps us to work through those problems more clearly. Solitude allows us to empty our minds of mental chatter and get to the root of the issue without distractions from the outside world. Solitude also improves mental concentration. By practicing solitude regularly, we can through the science of neuroplasticity, which we talked about in previous episodes, retrain our brains. We retrain them to fall into the state of clear thinking when faced with a difficult mental task, like a complex problem at work or an ethical decision that needs to be made within a relationship. By improving our concentration, our productivity naturally elevates as well. We can do more when we're not hindered by that mental clutter. Solitude can also improve creativity. While working in groups can certainly help to generate new ideas, it's solitude that helps us to sort through those ideas and even elaborate on them in detail. This kind of mental effort requires the removal of distractions. In true creative mode, the only voice we need to hear is our own. As any artist will tell you, true creativity is born of solitude. It is this clarity of mind, the temporary removal of our responsibilities to the outside world, and the silencing of the critical voices in our heads that allows us to open ourselves to the vastness of possibility. Now let's take a look at our bodies. Our bodies are intimately connected to our mental states. We know this. When we take time in solitude, stress levels are reduced, which has a tremendous positive impact on our health. Most of us have heard that stress is a killer disease, but many of us don't know why. Stress causes bodies to enter into sympathetic mode, our protective fight, flight, or freeze state, regulated by the steroid hormone cortisol. 
cortisol reduces inflammation, which is a very good thing. However, when we stay in this heightened stress state, we're basically in a state of chronic inflammation. That once helpful cortisol begins to suppress our immune system, which leads to a host of physical ailments. That includes diabetes or heart disease, even infertility, erectile dysfunction. Overall, solitude promotes a sense of calm. When we take time for ourselves in solitude and step away from the mania of our busy lives, our bodies react positively by reducing our inflammation levels, reactivating our body's functional parasympathetic nervous system, our rest and digest state. It slows our heart rate, it lets our intestinal tract muscles relax, and it increases healthy, productive gland activity. So with a regular solitude practice, we're better able to handle stressors as they arise rather than giving in to the anxieties that we encounter on a daily basis. And now to spirit. Solitude allows us to rediscover the most elevated, most spiritually evolved self we can be. I say rediscover because there was once a time that we were connected very intimately to our highest selves, and that was at birth. Before we needed to costume ourselves with what Carl Jung calls our persona, that mask that conceals our true nature so that we can feel like we can get along in the world of others. Before all this time, we were connected to the perfection of creative energy. That connection was as effortless as a drop of water joining the ocean. Solitude gives us time to refamiliarize ourselves with the innate spark of source carried within us. Our cherished time alone, it's almost magical just replenishes our resources to give back to others more fluidly and more profoundly. When our self is honored by taking time to reconnect with our soul, to celebrate our life, not only do our lives become richer, that richness in turn spills over into our lives with friends and family and colleagues, even with strangers. When we don't spend time alone, we don't have a chance to recharge our soul's batteries. It's like having a party and you're filling everyone's glass with an empty pitcher. Now, the act may be genuine. You want to help everybody out and keep them happy, but there's just not enough energy to give. And this results in a kind of caregiver syndrome, which I see in clients all the time, particularly women. And maybe this is familiar to some people. Maybe you know someone who gives and gives and gives to others, but they don't take care of themselves. This makes even the most heartfelt acts that they offer kind of empty in many ways. What we have to do is put the oxygen masks on ourselves before we can help others. So what does solitude look like? So this all sounds lovely, but what does that actually mean? And we will go into this in the next episode. But overall, during your solitude practice, all you need to do is something that brings you joy, something you do with awareness and intention to replenish your, your soul. That can be reading, dancing, drawing or sketching, meditating. As I said, take a bath, take a long walk. Journaling is an amazing, powerful tool for self-connection. Your journal can hold all your thoughts and your feelings, and it becomes an extension of you. It's like your own best friend. So I highly recommend that practice. What matters ultimately is that you define what you do in solitude because that's the only way you'll be excited to return to sacred time alone. So one of the things I hear when I talk about a solitude practice with clients is that it seems selfish. Now, remember that solitude on a regular basis is not at all selfish. 
itself-ish. It's about the self. Here's the fact. If we don't care for ourselves physically and emotionally, our energy gets depleted, just like a battery. If you've ever tried to talk on your cell phone without a charge, you know what I'm talking about. It's not effective. You're not communicating. It just doesn't work. So taking regular time for yourself allows you to recharge your batteries so that you can give your most powerful energy to others, as well as to yourself. And there's absolutely nothing selfish about that. It's the opposite. So in the next episode, we are going to talk more about solitude and how to create your own solitude practice, one that will be right for you, one that sits right in your belly, one that sits right in your soul. In the meantime, I'd love to hear your thoughts about solitude or whatever self-related topic is in your life experience right now. You can email me at rachel at selftalkpodcast.com. Until then, many blessings on your path. I'm Rachel Astarte, and thank you for joining me on Self Talk. Aho. Uh-huh.